0: You're listening to the Effective Statistician Podcast, a weekly podcast with Alexander Schacht, Benjamin Pieske, and Sam Gardner designed to help you reach your potential, lead great science, and serve patients without becoming overwhelmed by work. Today I'm talking with Stefan about apps on prescription, paid by the government. <laughs> We are mentioning a couple of different resources for the background here, and you can find all of these as long and lots of other content on statistician.com so check out all the different resources on the homepage. I'm producing this podcast in association with PSI, a community dedicated to leading and promoting the use of statistics within the healthcare industry for the benefit of patients. Join PSI today to further develop your statistical capabilities with access to the ever-growing video-on-demand content library and many, many more things. Visit the PSI website at psiweb.org to learn more about PSI and become a member today. Welcome to another episode of the Effective Statistician, and today I'm talking with Stefan Walzer. Hi Stefan, how are you doing? Hi Alexander, very well. What about yourself? Very good. It's a rainy, dark December (laughs) morning.
1: (laughs) Yeah, It's not raining
0: here, but it's still quite darkish, I would say. But we are talking about a topic that is pretty new and and I think it will be, yeah, really important for the future. And, um, well, in other areas, I think this digital landscape has already kind of, you know, reached many different things in, in our healthcare, regulated healthcare environment. It's something, yeah, yeah pretty new. Um, I think there's because of all the regulations, there's always a little bit of a slower move here. But um, before we dive into this, let's introduce yourself first. So, so what's your background? How did you get into healthcare?
1: Yes, perfect. Thank you, Alexander. I mean, thanks also for inviting me to the effective statistician. I mean, I'm actually an economist. I mean, I like to have statistical courses long time ago, obviously, but um, uh, from background, I'm an economist. I, I have a PhD in health economics and also a post diploma in clinical trials. Um, so I think that was probably the kind of path already a bit into health and health economics. But at the end of the day, it was really, I think, um, the, the, the kind of path that uh, I was starting in consultancy where I was working for the pharmaceutical industry for medical device uh, uh, parts. Uh, but I was doing quite a lot of modeling. So health economic modeling, um, obviously, um, in those days, it was primarily for the UK, because Mm -hmm. I think they were always at the forefront, right? Before I was then moving, let's say, into more, probably also more strategic roles when I went into the industry. And since now roughly already 10 years, I'm basically running my own company. We're focusing on the German speaking markets and here really broadly for pharmaceuticals, for medical devices. And obviously, I think the topic we're in today as well for digital health applications, even though I have to say DIGAs, which is I think today the topic, is just one part of the digital health solutions, right? There are also other parts of digital solutions, which might not be part of the definition of a DIGA, but that's also what we, for example, cover.
0: Interesting. Yeah. So you just already mentioned the word DIGA, which is... Uh, <laughs> an abbreviation for for a German word. So what is a DIGA actually?
1: Yes, I I think actually very good question at the end of the day. And I think you also, I think uh, pointed out already, it is an abbreviation of a German word, right? It's digitale Gesundheitsanwendung in German, which I think it can be translated in a way like um, a digital health application. But that last word, the application, is sometimes a bit misleading, right? It's not always about apps. I mean, we yeah. always have a lot of discussion and question. so do we need to have an app in order to be a DIGA, which is not the case, right? I mean, there's a definition, and an app could be, but you could, for example, as well, um, let's say, develop your DIGA as, a, let's say, using a browser function or something, right? That you can just access it via a browser. But at the end of the day, I mean, we have different, let's say, um, parts of the definition. I think the very first one is coming from the regulatory side, which is um, you need to have a a CE certification, obviously, and it needs to be a medical device, class one or 2A. That's already already very important because at the end of the day, depending a bit which digital health uh, solution you have, you might also end up in a class 2B, right? Which is then not or no more the DIGA pathway to get reimbursement in Germany, but that is then another pathway which leads directly through the Joint Federal Committee in Germany, the GBA, which is then a method evaluation. Not part of our discussion today. It's too complex and complicated, I think. Okay. <laughs> that, that's okay. the first one, right? So it's just class one or 2A. So you need to tick that box. If that is ticked, then the second point is... Let's
0: make- stop that for a moment. Well, so, so what is class one and class 2A?
1: I mean, the... Let's say to make it really simple, I mean, it basically just says that um, the, the let's say the risk classification is quite low, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it can basically not harm the patient to make it very simple, right? There are very specific definitions of that. I'm not a regulatory expert, but I mean, there are very specific definitions. And that's basically where you um, can then classify that. I mean, the more you're going up, so 2B and 3, that is basically where you I don't want to say that you're you, you can't or let's say you do automatically harm patients i mean that's not the case right it's same when we speak about drugs right there are side effects and uh, and uh, and uh, let's say complications maybe but that's not saying that you're harming patients right but there's a given risk behind and that's also i think what you need to take into consideration when you think about risk classes for medical devices so the lower the risk in a way obviously the, the the more you have, then the kind of definition of a risk class one or two A.
0: Okay, so if I think about medical devices that are more risky, would be kind of stents or things like these, exactly. more more invasive stuff, uh, and and not something that is you know a browser or an <laughs> app or things like these kind of things. Yeah,
1: I, in general, yes. But I think here we need as well to to keep an eye on, I think the more you would, for example, go into um, artificial intelligence or so, where you say you have a program which might have an impact and an effect on the, uh, let's say, on a recommendation, what to do with the patient, right? In terms of treatment, treatment decision, Mm -hmm. the more it also goes up in terms of risk class, right? Because automatically you just say there might be an effect and an impact on the patient. If it's rather something like, you know, you're calculating maybe a probability of, I don't know, of a progression where you just say, please go to your doctor and get an appointment and the doctor will further check. Then there's always that, let's call it intermediate, right? Which is the physician before the next treatment step arises. That brings obviously the risk class again a bit down.
0: Yeah. So that's that's interesting. So um, let's talk a little bit about what would be AIMS. Of Of such applications so so I think there's a couple of different areas that this could play in it could be kind of help or maybe even provide diagnostic uh, decisions. I guess it can help with monitoring the severity of the disease or side effects or things like that. It can help to you know, as you just said, you know. Trigger certain kind of monitoring uh, dis- discussions with with physicians. Um, are these kind of the typical areas where these things would play a
1: role? Um, I think you you have probably already mentioned a lot of those areas. Absolutely, I think monitoring. I think is the is the first thing where probably everybody has in mind, right? I mean, um, if you have a disease and you can basically. Um, Let's take the simplest case, right? I mean, we all know the, the, the Apple watches, right? And they can now as well, let's say, um, collect your information on, I think on, on blood pressure or on- um, Heart on rate. Yes, heart rate, exactly. So, I mean, if, if you take that and could, for example, combine it with an algorithm, which could calculate, let's say a, a risk for a heart failure or for a myocardial infarction, et cetera, this would be as well an application, right? Where mm-hmm. you just say, there's collection of data, Then there's a digital component of it, which is calculating, that's the algorithm behind. And then there might be an alert, right? Which could be on your watch, which could be with the caregiver, which could be even with physician, which might be a bit tricky when you when we're speaking about DIGAS. But this is the kind of ultimate, let's say, pathway. You're totally right. I think not to forget, I think, and we have quite a good number there is, for example, also psychoeducation, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. I mean, it, it's very clear, I mean, what to do, in which ways, et cetera. And there we have already as well, let's say, different uh, DIGAs available. Also in the, um, in the insomnia area, for example, and, and a couple of other quite interesting areas where we also know that there's quite good development. But in general, you're totally right. I mean, how you described it, I think this is probably the, the areas where most of the developments, at least I think, are currently being done for DIGAs and beyond DIGAs.
0: So it could also be that the DIGA is not only di- diagnostic and kind of measuring, but it could also be some form of intervention. Yeah. So that it's kind of, as you say, psychoeducation, or maybe there's some intervention in terms of insomnia, things like this. Uh, Don't know some, um, I have no clue about this area, but but kind of you know, plays music that helps you get asleep faster or kind of you know, yeah, is is helps with with the lighting in in the room whatsoever. So, there's all these other kind of things that you could think of as well,
1: yeah, exactly. No, absolutely, and I mean, I think. uh... Probably um, the, the, the most prominent one is, uh, I think, also, um, let's say, working in the area of depression, depression for example, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you just covered that, right? I mean, it is or it could also be a therapy, right? It always depends, however, what the underlying, let's say, um, rationale is, right? I mean, we always need a scientific basis for that. But I mm-hmm. think as, as long as you could, for example, translate, um, let, let's say, um, a therapy which can be, let's say, mimicked in a way, from a physical person, so from a physician or a therapist, into a digital application, then it could also be a therapy. Absolutely, I mean everything else is probably more. I mean we need to be careful with the word monitoring, right? Because monitoring might go already into a class two B, or at least could not. Uh, let's say could end up in a tool for the physician, which is just in the definition of Diga. It needs to be used by the patient, right? If it's yeah. rather physician tool which could be seen with most of the monitoring, then it's no more a DIGA as well, right? So that's also where I'm a bit, let's say, careful to use the word monitoring. But in Mm. general, I agree with you. Okay. And
0: now there's one really interesting thing. And that is the kind of German-specific situation, which I think is is pretty unique. So what's so unique about Germany?
1: (laughs) Yes, uh, I think... um, Interestingly, I mean, we even have, let's say, um, press coverage across various countries, also the U.S., right? The U.S. is also looking now into Germany. How do they really implement digital health solution? I think also I think this week there was even a kind of a a, a title in the Swiss newspaper, watch out to kind of watch out to Germany. They are basically um, overruling and uh, uh, getting up to speed in terms of uh, digital health. I mean, which was very interesting to see when you just compared two years ago, right? But yeah. I think it was at least seen a bit difficult. But just coming back to your question, what is so unique, right? I think it has probably different components. I think, first of all, I think the most important thing, and that is probably what I would say the system has also learned from the pharmaceutical um, process, I would say, is that the product could be available when, uh, let's say in this way, it's registered within the so-called DIGA registry. So, it's mm-hmm. basically one pathway. You go to the so called B farm, which is the registration body. You basically show them what you have in your hands and they apply then the rules. So, especially the definition for the DIGA, right? I mean, if that all applies and you have as well at least a, a kind of proof of concept, I would say, for the DIGA, then you would be included uh, at least preliminary into that DIGA registry. And from that moment, the, the DIGA is basically included in that registry. It could be used by the patient. And importantly, it's even being reimbursed by the insurance funds. And I think this is probably the very unique situation. Yep. That's, that's the first one, right? Because you could just say, first, is, it's preliminary. But secondly, I mean, I just said it's proof of concept. Why the hell only approve, right? I mean, that is like this, right? It's just too simple in a way. No, no. What then basically happens is, that the, um, that the Bay Farm and the system basically allows the DIGA companies to let's say, develop within a time frame of 12 months to develop then the evidence. So it's basically really, let's say, the evidence to prove your concept in a way, right? The proof of the proof of concept. But yeah. while you already have reimbursement, and I think this is the very unique, I think, situation as well, right? You, you have an, I would say a bit more than an idea, you have shown that it works, then you can go on the market, you get already the money from the health insurance company. At the same time, you basically you develop your evidence in order then to be registered finally um, permanently into the DIGA registry. I think this is probably the kind of um, combination of the uniqueness.
0: That is really, really interesting because um, it basically means that you can gather real-world evidence data during these 12 months of uh, preliminary approval to collect much more kind of information on how it, how it works, yeah? User experience, all kinds of different things to, um, to go back to the uh, regulator. So that makes it uh, very unique also from a, and very different to a, a pharma approval, yeah? Where it's only after you have proven that it works, it's safe, and it's high quality, that so it beca- gets reimbursed. Yeah.
1: It, it, yeah, I, I think I would say exactly. But what you need to keep in mind, real world evidence could be a component of your evidence package, right? You need to be yeah. sure, depending on what you submit, obviously, the fund will as well, or let's say needs to agree with you on the final evidence package. Yeah. And that needs normally, it needs still to be, let's say, comparative, right? It could be in a real world let's say, area. That could happen, right? Um, but I think it's important that they want to have as well the evidence, obviously, in a German environment, um, within the 12 months, which is sometimes a bit difficult. We had discussions, for example, um, on uh, let's in the area of asthma. And obviously, if you think about those kind of events, what you see, the exacerbation, etc., they don't really happen so often. If they happen, it's very severe, right? But if they don't happen, then it's basically a, a let's say not so, um, or let's rather say a more rare event. So you need much more a patient mm-hmm. there. So I think, I mean, you're better, let's say, <laughs> better to say how you do the power calculation, but how could you really do that in 12 months, right? In yeah. order no, and also at the same time to not have, let's say hundreds of different sites, uh, study sites basically than in Germany, right? Because you need to have German data. Why? Because the DGA is basically communicating with the patient, right? So you have it in written or a video or whatever else in German because of German patients. So that's also one of the difficulties, right? If you have a proof, for example, by randomized controlled trial somewhere in the U.S. or in France or somewhere, you need to as well to prove to the farm that this is really transferable into the German. Yeah, contact with a lot of discussion especially the very early beginnings and a lot of times it's rather more ah you know that language validation i think the bay farm has also let's say changed i think they're getting a bit more pragmatic used to the cases but it's not that easy but i agree with you that it's at least very unique but that's again going back to what we had a couple of minutes before on the risk class right the lower the risk class the less likely you basically harm patients and so the more you could basically as well go with such a pathway
0: yeah, that's interesting. So that means that by the way you get into the registry the first time, you need to have a very, very clear plan already, yeah? So uh, to make sure that you can meet the 12-month timeline, figuring it out thereafter is probably a bad idea because <laughs> 12 months can pass by pretty fast,
1: Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And I think that's also what the BFAM tells when you, for example, go into consultation, which is also a possibility, right? You could even discuss with them in detail the protocols, for example, right? But I'm totally with you. I think um, the time when you are part of the DIGA registry, so that you basically launch in a way, right? That's where the latest your DIGA study, if you need to prove that, needs to start because 12 months is really a short time period at the end of the day. Important, maybe a quick asterisk in there. You could, uh, let's say, prolong it during that period, not at the early start, right? You cannot just say, you know, I take six months longer, please approve it. That's not possible. You need to plan for the 12 months, meaning at month 12, the data and the new application needs to be with the B farm, right? Which yeah, does not okay. mean January to December is the trial, and then you do the analysis, and then you do the report, then you submit. No, no, no. This needs to be all put into those 12 months, but you can expand it for first three-month period and for a second third month period as well in exceptional cases so you need to explain why right Mm -hmm. difficulty of recruitment I mean COVID I mean it's probably already an old story (laughs) (laughs) but you know those kind of things right I mean sorry I mean we have already I don't know 80% recruited we need another three months that's not an issue right but I mean um, you need to plan it ahead of time and that's I think very important would you as well you said
0: yeah so When we dig a little bit deeper into the requirements. Mm -hmm. Um, So if I think about a diagnostic tool, Mm -hmm. then I basically need to show how this diagnostic tool works
1: in real life versus some kind of gold standard. Yes, exactly. I mean, it it has probably different components, here, right? Because it's digital, you have all of those IT requirements, which is quite a lot, right? I mean, IT security, IT safety, I mean, data security, whatever else. I mean, it, it is quite a lot of stuff, what as well, the company need to think about. And some of this is also unique to Germany. I mean, we have seen that with a couple of companies. They had already product in other countries, and they had still to change it, at least in some components, in order to meet the BFAM um, requirements. I think that's, that's the first part, right? The second part is then, I mean, Um, If you then have your product, you need to as well think obviously and to show how this obviously compares against the German, let's call it standard of care, Mm -hmm. which is maybe a bit different also to the pharmaceutical area, right? Where you a lot of times have another drug or so, right? I mean, currently, you could probably and in some cases, really just say, I mean, look, those patients don't have a digital, uh, let's say application yet. So we just compare it against patients who do not have that. So it's basically mm-hmm. kind of placebo, right? Um, what you obviously as well need to think and have in mind, I think that's also, I think, where you probably as well have a good background. I mean, a lot of times I think companies are also running crossover trials, right? Does that oh, help okay. as well in terms of recruitment, right? I mean, how do you want to, let's say, satisfy a patient if they say, yes, I, I agree, I attend, or let's say I, I, I jump into the study, and I see obviously because you can apply in it, right? I mean, you cannot just have a placebo diga. You have either the diga or nothing. So what is the what is the incentive then for the patients who do not get the DIGA to stay in the in the study, right? So that yep. is why a lot of times that crossover comes as well into to effect. But you could also just say we only analyze the first part, right? But that's as well a discussion then with the B farm, also from a, from a methodological perspective, how you best do that, right?
0: yeah there's uh with crossover trials you can have all kinds of different uh yeah com- <laughs> complexities yeah. and um yeah one of the safe things is just looking into the first period yeah, yeah. and and um, have that powered appropriately that maybe you don't need the second period
1: <laughs> i would go with that yes <laughs>
0: Okay, very, very good. Um, there is, uh, there's a lot of references already that you can use to learn about these. And, um, also, which is nice, lots of these are provided also in English. So not only in German, also from the, uh, German, uh, B-Farm, from the German regulator. You can, uh, learn about these things on the respective homepages. And we'll link to these in the, um, in the show notes. There's one other resource that I would like to mention as well, and that is Stefan's podcast <laughs> that he is also running now for, for, for some time. Tell us a little bit about this and who are the, what's the target audience and what, what's usually the
1: content? Yes, thank you, Alexander. I think um, the the podcast was basically born out of the idea that, I mean, we got a lot of times, let's say, obviously very similar kind of questions around market access, reimbursement, pricing, health economics, right? And a lot of times people as well just said, said, you know, we trust you. Because we know you already a long time, but it would still be good to have maybe the opinion of one of the other stakeholders within the system, right? And that is where we, let's say, started quite, um, let's say, lower based in a way, and where we had the first discussions with different experts, right? It's always in the area of market access, health economics, pricing. Um, it's not always, let's say, in Germany or in Switzerland, Austria, where we have obviously Uh, Let's say our heads on. I mean, we have also, for example, upcoming episodes for digital health applications in the US. We'll have um, a kind of discussion with the Canadian expert uh, where we just compare the upcoming EU joint HTA assessment with the Canadian system. And when they integrated that, but we have obviously as well, because we have just discussed the DIGA pathway, we have as well had, um, for example, discussions with um, uh, with responsible persons from the farm, which are just currently in the, let's say, making, um, but also, for example, um, with the um, current head of the arbitration board of the DIGAs. I mean, he's also <laughs> the former head of the Amnok arbitration board, but uh, I think that you can probably already get quite some parts out of it. We have as well more general episodes, which is maybe going to negotiations more, where I think you can as well get quite a lot out of it, even though that a lot of that experience when we had the discussions is based on our drug experience. But the the frame, when you have a look on the DIGA price uh, negotiation frame and the a frame for the drugs is very similar in Germany, right? So, I mean, just watch it out. I mean, the the name is very simple, MAP, Map Market Access Podcast, and it covers a lot of different areas, but especially, obviously, for market access, health economics pricing.
0: Yeah. So, uh, for all the statisticians that more work in the later phases of the um, development and want to learn a little bit more about how to launch a product, not just getting it approved, but actually bringing it to patients and making sure that um, it's covered uh, through the different systems around the world. Um, check out this podcast to, to learn more about uh, these kinds of things and, and listen to stakeholders that live and breathe these kind of systems. Thanks so much, Stefan. That was awesome to have a discussion about uh, digital health applications specifically to Germany. And I'm pretty sure this topic will be becoming a more hot topic in the future as well. Um, There's so many uh, possibilities and opportunities. And yeah, as you said, there's a lot of other countries that look into what is happening in Germany. And potentially, yeah, copy and uh, adapt from Germany. So um, that will be interesting to see in the future. Any final learnings that you would give to the listener?
1: Yes, I think very important, probably whoever wants to come into, let's say, the German DIGA world in a way. Um, not only oh I think that 's quite clear. plan your let 's say submission in your market launch. It sounds so simple, but probably consult early on the Bay farm. You can even do that in English. I think you just mm-hmm. mentioned that that 's a big difference to the to the drug area as well, right? You can submit your consultation request in English. You have the consultation meeting in English, which is a lot of times much easier, especially when we maybe think about companies from outside of Germany. That's the very first and important one. Listen carefully what they tell you. I think when you run your clinical trials, I think it is probably for, I guess, for most of your listeners as well, a, 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 a quite, uh, probably call it a no-brainer, that you have a protocol, a statistical analysis plan. <laughs> Exactly. You're laughing. We had companies where we needed to explain a clinical study report. But yeah. please, this is this is mandatory. I mean, how else could an institution really check what you have done and interpret the results carefully? So these are probably the two most important learnings, I would say. One, go and listen to the Bay Farm, the institution there, speak with them, discuss with them. And the second part, if you then run or if you have run already your study, please have your documentation up and ready. I think those are probably the most important things.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Thanks so much, Stefan. And uh, stay tuned to learn more about uh, market access through his podcast.
1: Thank you, Alexander.
0: This show was created in association with PSI. Thanks to Rain, who helps with the show in the background. And thank you for listening. Reach your potential, lead trade science and serve patients just be an effective statistician.